0: I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that weekly, daily. In the valley, oh God, you're near. In the quiet, oh God, you're near. In the shadow, at my breaking. In my searching, in my wandering, at my lowest, and when I feel all alone. And of course, the bridge, height, nor depth, nor anything else could pull us apart. We are joined as one, not by my doing, but by your doing. By the blood. Your Bibles go with me to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's pray as we get started this morning. Nehemiah chapter 6. Father, praise God that we are joined as one by your blood. Father, praise you for that. Father, praise you that your work is finished. It's done. It's completed. For the work that we could not have done, you've done. Father, praise you for that. As we study Your Word this morning, Father, let it speak to our hearts. Let it mold us into the image of Your Son, Jesus. Father, let it be one more step in our perseverance. Father, one more step in the work that You are finishing in our hearts. Let it be one more thing to encourage us to to joy and encourage us to live for You. Let it it will be one more step in letting us enjoy and bring glory to your name, Father. Father, it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so Nehemiah chapter 6, as we continue to press on this, we're going to go through all of chapter 6. Next week for Easter we will be in chapter 7. <coughs> chapter 7 will lend itself nicely to speaking of the crucifixion and resurrection of our Savior next week. As we think about Nehemiah, to quickly, quickly review, we've been talking about being reformers, about expanding the kingdom, about expanding the Garden of Eden to subdue the earth and, and to bring God's glory and reign to everywhere that we go. To, to help people, first of all ourselves, and then to help other people become lovers of God. People who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love it with their whole being, that their entire being would image with clarity the image of God before the earth, that we would reign and rule under Jesus as we live like kingdom citizens, right? We are first and foremost, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of God's kingdom, not of the United States. Your primary residence is in God's kingdom and will be there for all of eternity, not the U.S. of A. So we're talking about being reformers as gods, as we're part of God's kingdom. And as part of being reformers, we've talked about this kind of 3 peace formula and that is knowing God's vision for the way things should be. If you're going to bring about reformation, there needs to be an idea of what is it supposed to even look like? What's it supposed to look like? What's it supposed to be? What's it, how's it supposed to function? How are people supposed to relate? How, what's the vision for the way things should be? And then a reformer must have a heartbreak for those things that are not as they should be. It's one thing to know something, it's another thing to have affections for it, and it takes both. And then lastly, a sense that you are to do something about it, a calling to do something about it. And and then we've talked about how prayer is involved in getting the job done. We talked about persevering by living for something bigger than yourself. Last week, we talked about stewarding of money for the purpose of God's kingdom, for the purpose of bringing about reformation. <coughs> this week, although I'm not going to theme it this way, is kind of really about stewarding time. Uh, it's it's kind of, kind of Last week was stewarding money, this week is kind of stewarding time. These are both huge resources, but I don't think that the push in stewarding time is quite as big as it was stewarding money in the last passage, but this week we're going to talk more about the idea of finishing the never finished work, and time is a huge piece in finishing the never finished work. So this week, finishing the never finished work. I want to encourage you: if you have time this week, or if you can make time, go read go read Paul and the journeys of Paul in the latter uh, parts of the Book of Acts, and just watch Paul's life. Watch. Watch what happens and where he goes next and what he does. And you hear these stories. I want to just draw your attention to Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-four. Paul has just written Romans, he now has a plot to kill him, and he says the following in verse twenty-four: But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul, I mean, just finishing the book of Romans, probably the greatest letters to the church written of all times, and, and someone's going to kill him now, and Paul says, I, basically Paul gets up, moves on to the next task, simply so that he could testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul wanted to do what God had called him to do. He had a laser focus. He completed one task for God and moved on to the next one. In the face of opposition, in the face of fleshly evils, in the face of tiredness, in the face of despair and death, he pressed on. Why? So he could feel good about himself? So that he could earn favor with God? No, so that he could finish the task given to him Which was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul had experienced the gospel of the grace of God. He knew the gospel of the grace of God. And when you know the gospel or the good news of the grace of God, you can't help but share the good news of the grace of God. You can't help but live in a way that testifies to the good news of the grace of God. And so Paul knew the gospel of the grace of God and Paul testified to the gospel of the grace of God. My goal for today through the text is to spur you on to finish the never finished work. That this would be something that you keep in mind in the middle of the grueling tasks that you keep in mind in the middle of day in and day out laboring, whether that's family care or working um, outside the home or whatever it is, that you have work that will not be finished until Jesus returns. And that God intends to encourage us in many, many different ways. But a couple things that we're going to talk about today is simply by keeping in mind that we should, first of all, stick to the task, and that second of all, we should abide in the Word. Sticking to the task with laser focus, resolve. I'm going to use the word resolve, yes. Uh, Obviously, we understand that in the context of grace and and not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. So, I'm assuming you're going to have that in the background of your mind as I say that. But sticking to the task and abiding in the Word. I want to spur you on to finish the never-finished work. Paul went on to finish the never-finished work. And here's one thing that I've learned this week that's been an encouragement to my heart. I learned this, actually it started in a blog that I read, I'm sorry, it started in a passage I read and then a blog that came up on my scroll a couple days later, it was just encouraging that God's people... Really do want to follow God. That those who are redeemed by Jesus really do want to follow Jesus. And I don't know why. Like I mean, just get in my mind that like they don't. And I don't know. It makes because I sometimes feel like I don't, but they do. And, And I and I want to encourage you guys. I know you go in. Those of you who really want to follow Jesus, day in and day out, like the world beats. The snot out of you, right? We sometimes beat the snot out of ourselves. And, and I, I want to encourage you this morning to finish the never finished work, to keep to the task. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to push you. I, yes, I'm going to say some things uh, every week and certainly today that, that maybe don't feel good, but I want you to understand them in the context that I want you to come in here on Sundays and be encouraged to to hear Jesus' voice. To walk in faithfulness for Him. Don't walk out of here feeling beat up. Walk out of here feeling like, you know, Jesus took the beating from my sin. Now let me go live and abide in Him. Okay? But Paul went on to finish the never finished work. And Nehemiah went on to finish the never finished work. Now how? At least how as we see in this particular passage. First of all, finish the never-finished work by sticking to the task. By sticking to the task. The task, namely, obviously, building God's kingdom. But that's going to look like a bunch of other tasks. It's going to look like a bunch of other things that you're going to be about. Whether that's parenting, or doing the dishes, or signing papers at work, or relationally involved with your coworkers and or talking to your neighbors, whatever the task is sticking to the task. And the task is big picture, how we're building God's kingdom. Here's how we're going to proceed today. As you guys know often we like to read through a whole passage. We don't have time for that. We're going to read a couple verses at a time uh, and then talk about it a couple verses at a time and talk about it, and then we will call it a Sunday, or at least a service that is. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up until that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. I want you to notice here. Notice the progress. The work has gone forward. Okay, Sanballat and the crew know that their window to succeed in taking over Jerusalem is closing. Because you understand... If these walls get built, they're still underneath the same king. So they can't just wage war within the kingdom. I mean, Artaxerxes would come squash Sanballat and Tobias. So, so their only way to get what they want from the city of Jerusalem and to keep them underneath their oppression is to essentially manipulate the situation without physical great force because Artaxerxes would not have that within his kingdom. So Sanballat and his crew know that the window's closing in. So verse two, Senbalah and Geshem sent to me saying, come let us meet together at Hakephorim in the plain of Ono, Uh, Ono is exactly right, but they intended to do me, what, harm, they intended to do me harm, Nehemiah knew these people, we're going to stop there for a few minutes just, just for the record. Nehemiah knew these people, and he knew their intentions, and he knew what was at stake. So the first thing, if you want to put down subpoints, is this. Wake up to the intentions of your enemies. We need to wake up to the intentions of our enemies. And we're going to talk about a couple different enemies. The first one being the obvious one, and that is the enemy, if we think of a capital E enemy. The enemy seeks to devour, right? We need to know that. We need to realize, we need to wake up that Satan intends to devour us. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a what? A roaring lion trying to do what? Scare you? Scare What's to devour you? He wants to devour you. He wants to devour your kids. He wants to devour your marriage. He wants to devour your parenting. He wants to devour your workplace. He wants to devour your relationships. He wants to devour everything. Seeking someone to devour. It's the enticements that lay, that are dangled in front of us day in and day out. Many of them, if not all of them, are meant to harm Man, the lustful opportunities on TV, billboards, and such are meant to harm you. And not meant for your good. Not meant for your family's good. Facebook is not meant for your good. Satan will use that for your destruction. Now, that doesn't mean Facebook is evil inherently, but it, Satan, if he can use it, for evil. He will use it for evil. He will use it to devour you. Those smartphones, for many of us, they're dumb phones. Not because we don't know how to use them, but because they are devouring us. Satan will use it to harm you. We need to understand the intentions of our enemy and understand that his resources are great. Women. Same thing. TV shows, you know. I originally wrote in here TV shows like The Bachelor, but I I haven't heard the term Bachelor well, in in the TV show sense, used in our church in a long time. If you still watch that, I'm I'm sorry, but um, like they don't like it's not meant for your good. Like that show's not meant to edify you to follow Jesus. It's meant to harm you. Right now, I'm not saying go out and burn your television. I'm just, just just, just listen, all right? We're not going to have a CD burning celebrate or a iTunes um, licensure burning ceremony, <laughs> whatever it is. iPod, you know. Um. <laughs> wow, I'm showing some age. but <laughs> This is not meant for your good. Just, just hear me say, all right? They create desires. Men, these things create desires in you that you should not have. At least you should not have maybe for that time or for that person or for these people. And, and I'm just thinking like in terms of like lust here. Obviously, there's thousands of other things that are meant for our evil and that will impact and capture our hearts in many, many different ways. Parents, Satan will use good things, good things like sports, school, even church to harm you and your children. Satan will use anything he can. To harm you, his intentions are not to do good things. Satan wants to lure us into vulnerable spots so that he can destroy us. We have to wake up to the intentions. Like, because I'm thinking through this through the lens of a parent of young kids, of course, and I'm thinking like trying to protect my kids, right? Like, so is quick story. I don't really have time for this, but quick story. Hayden. Hayden's doing this thing where I don't, I don't like this, I don't like this, and then that turned into I don't like you and I don't like you. I like you. I don't like you. I like you. So he's doing this, and and so we're discussing the other day, and we f- we found out, we f- finally figured out where he was getting that from because Mom and Dad don't don't regularly say I don't like you, you know. I mean, at least I mean, just trust me, all right? We're not like, well, this person in the church we don't like you know this. Way. And he picked, he didn't no 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 trust me, all right? He got it from Green Eggs and Ham, Dr. Seuss, right? I don't like you. I like this. I like you. Right, right. He's doing that. So what's my first response? we got to get rid of green eggs and ham, right? We've got to cut out green eggs. No more Dr. Seuss, green eggs, and ham. Now, granted, now hear, hear me I nuance this. There are many things that we just need to cut out, right? So don't hear me say I'm just justifying to keep Dr. Seuss and green eggs and ham. <clears throat> but, like, we have to... What we've decided is we're going to help him understand that it's okay to not, to not like green eggs. It's not okay to not like an image bearer of God, right? So there's a difference here, okay? So theologically, there's a difference. God's giving you different taste buds. I understand that, but you're created to love God and to love that which images God. All, here's what I'm saying. Here's my point. We have. To be careful, we have to be in tune, we have to be vigilant about the intentions of the enemy. We have to be aware, we have to wake up, we need to guard those things. Men, your families, you're like the gatekeeper, dude. I mean, your wife's there to help you, but you're like the gatekeeper. You just stand guard. Wake up to the intentions of your enemies. All right, we have belabored that one way too long. Next one. Next one. So Satan intends to devour you. The other enemy is your flesh. Your flesh intends to do you harm. This is a big one because we carry this around with us everywhere. Satan doesn't go everywhere with us. Although he has lackeys and those who are underneath his dominion everywhere. But your flesh goes with you to sleep. It goes with you when you wake up. It goes with you when you eat. It goes with you to the restroom. It goes with you everywhere you go. Galatians 5.17, he says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the, what? the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They're enemies. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. I love how he says that, because he's talking to to those who are redeemed. So he's saying the redeemed heart wants to do the things of the Spirit. So the redeemed heart, the new heart, the new creation wants to do the things of the Spirit. The flesh doesn't want to do that. They are at war with each other. They are enemies to each other. We have to wake up that there is a battle... Mostly within, not from without, but there is a battle that is waging inside of us, and we should be fighting that war. There is an enemy there we to wake up to the intentions of our flesh. Our flesh is not intending to help us succeed, to help us have good marriages, to help our kids be good followers of Jesus. Our flesh is not desirable of those things. Our flesh is desirable to make itself happy at the expense of anything that is good and righteous and pleasing to God and for our benefit. Wake up, church. You wake up. There's a war going on inside of you, and unless you welcome in the grace of the gospel, the grace of the body of Christ, you will not make it. Of course, I understand that in the midst of knowing God's in control of all that, and He's the one that has to wake us up. If you need those nuances, all of us know not the extent of our fleshly desires. we know we know not there is a phrase you could walk, you could write down i would write that one down all of us know not the extent of our fleshly desires we're going to circle back around to that later moving on to the passage verse 3 <laughs> verse 3 and i sent messengers to them saying all right so they want him to go into the plain of oh no And he says, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Stop there for a few minutes. We need to understand the importance of the work that there is no time for distractions understand the importance of the work understand the importance of the task by sticking to the task the the finishing the never finished work the work that we are about if you have a redeemed heart is a very important work i want you to think about a heart surgeon in the middle of operation not the game but an actual heart surgery okay he's in the middle of heart surgery What do you think he's thinking about? Let me back up. What do you hope he's thinking about? Right? The heart that's in front of him. The scalpel that's in his hand. The nurse that's helping. The other surgeon or whatever. He's got to stay focused. Why? Because he knows what's at stake. What's at stake? That heart. That life. That family. There's a great cost Great cost at stake. Nehemiah understood the work he was called to was significant, and he realized it was so significant that he had no time for distractions. He was busy about the business of making God's name great among the nations. And I think, as followers of Jesus, we have to understand the importance of the work. The importance of the work with our kids, the importance of the work with our neighbors, the importance of the work in our workplaces, the importance of the work at home, wherever it is. Nehemiah understood the work and its importance. He understood there was no time for distraction. I can't come down. Why should the work stop so that I could come down to you? Why? He said, they came at me four times. Kind of a second thought here is do great work. Do great work. Understand the importance of the work. Do great work. Be about great work. You know, I have the positive Matthew and the negative Matthew right here in one sentence. Recomm- Do great work, comma, stop wasting time. Right, <laughs> That's the, <laughs> the negative side. And po- Do great work. Stop wasting time. So whichever one makes you feel better, pick the which one you want to write down. Do great work. Stop wasting time. Oftentimes, the distractions that, we are, that are created, though, I want to help see this that certainly it comes from outside, but a lot of times the distractions come from the inside. I want to go back to that Galatians passage, chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before. here's he says. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Works of the flesh, right? Distractions from the work at hand. Your flesh doesn't want to build God's kingdom. It wants to build its kingdom. It wants to reign and rule as the only sovereign in this world. That's what your flesh wants to do. That God will not have that. So, those people who give themselves over to reigning and ruling in their own world, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, understand these distractions. Come from our own selves oftentimes, probably more often than they come from without. So talk about this. Do a great work. What's the great work, right? We've we've talked about like broadly to help people, ourselves, help people become lovers of God, all their hearts, soul, mind, and strength, so on and so forth. But if I could break this down into kind of maybe two subcategories underneath that, the first one would be this be a disciple. Be a disciple. I know we talk about this all the time as a church. I just want to remind you again, be a disciple. John 10, 27 says this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here, by the way. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I'm not, I'm not doing an exposition of that passage, but one implication of it is that sheep will seek the voice of the shepherd. A mark of someone sticking to the task, as we're talking about here, a mark of a follower of Jesus. This is, uh, maybe this is a helpful um, thing here, this is helpful in my mind this past week. A mark of someone sticking to the task, a mark of a follower of Jesus, is they keep turning up the Jesus voice on the Bible radio. Alright? You got that? They keep turning up the Jesus voice on the Bible radio. I know it's simple. (laughs) They keep leaving the Bible radio running longer and longer and longer. They seek to hear God's voice. They, they, they recognize Jesus' voice amongst all the other voices. And they want to hear that voice, and they want to hear it more. They want to follow it. They want to hear it. They want to follow it. They want to hear it. They keep leaving it running longer, and then longer, and longer. And I'm, not, I'm not saying that you necessarily spend, now you're like a monk, and you live in a cage, and, and like, you know, read your Bible, and no one ever sees you not talking about them. I'm talking about the, you're reading. You want to know more. You want to know more. And then you think upon it more. And you dwell on it more. You abide in it more. The reality is if you don't seek to hear Jesus' voice, then you don't know Jesus and He doesn't know you. Now I know some might say, I long to hear Jesus' voice, and Jesus and I talk. We'll look at a passage in a few moments, and Jesus says that his followers abide in his word. And for us, I believe Jesus is speaking about his written word. We will abide in his word, as we see here. We will learn it, we will read it, we will abide in it. All right, so talk about being a disciple. (coughs) That's a great work. Another part, so we're going to study the Word and learn the Word as a disciple. Second thing is are going to seek exhortation, seek encouragement, seek accountability, seek help. Just to remind you, again, Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be, what, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what this means? It means if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to do a great work, if you want to stop wasting time, if you want to finish the never finished work, you must have exhortation daily from a brother or sister in the body of Christ. It's just not an option. It's just not an option. Now, daily, I mean, I I don't know if I'm going to understand that, like literally every single day, but it wouldn't hurt, my goodness, and it certainly doesn't mean once, once or twice a year. All right, we shall continue. But this is only part of the great work. It's only part of it. The other part of it, so be a disciple, make disciples. This is a great work. Make disciples. You know, in the context of these verses we're talking about, John 10, Hebrews 13, or Hebrews 3, help people hear and understand the voice of the shepherd. What's your role then as an evangelist? It's to help people hear the voice of the shepherd. And if you want people around you to come to faith in Christ, then start speaking with the voice of the shepherd. Start speaking his words, not your words. His kingdom, not your kingdom. His gospel, not your gospel. What do I mean by your gospel, what is it that you seek that brings you the most fulfillment? That's your gospel, that's your good news. What's Jesus' good news? All of that's terrible and stinks and will never satisfy you, but I will. My redemption will cover the blood, my, or cover your sins. My redemption is ultimate. Your salvation over here won't do it. So if you want people, if you desire to see people come to faith in Christ, share the words of the shepherd. Now, obviously that implies you've got to know the words of the shepherd. But if here's the here's what's awesome, if you speak the words of the shepherd, those who are his, those whom Jesus knows, and those who hear the voice of the shepherd will follow Jesus. Like it's as simple as that. Jesus says, "My sheep hear my voice; they follow me." I think a lot of times we don't see people come to faith in Christ around us, because all they hear is our voice. And there's no verse that says if they hear your voice, they'll follow Jesus. If they hear his voice, they'll follow Jesus. To, I don't know about you, but to me, that's like encouraging. So I don't, I don't need to come up with f- fancy, smancy stuff. Like, I don't have to. I just need to share Jesus' voice. That means I don't have to be perfect either. I've got to know Jesus' voice, I've got to live Jesus' voice. Now, certainly, that's going to involve knowing the gospel, like, specifically. But then knowing the God, how that applies, so on and so forth. All right, we should keep going. This work, so if Jesus' is sheep hear His voice and follow Him, then start sharing Jesus' voice. That was all I wanted to say, ultimately. Be a disciple. Make disciples. This work is about a great God who has marvelously rescued a desperate people. That's what this work is about. It's about bringing glory to God as He rescues desperately wicked people and turns them into image bearers of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's a great work. That's a great work. I wish I could spend hours and hours helping us see how great of a work that is. But here's the other thing, too. We get to be a part of this work. Did you ever think about that? Like, you get to be a part of God glorifying Himself through the redemption of sinners. You get to be, hopefully, Lord willing, one of those redeemed sinners, and then, as a part of that, you get to help Bring about the redemption of other sinners. Wow. All right, And to think some people say, well, why didn't he just write this in the sky? Because we get to be a part of it. Anyways, all right. And five. Like, why would you want that? Anyways, all right, five. In the, in the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports you wish to become their king. Man, listen to these lies. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take council together. Wow. I mean, this this is like intense. Now, just so that you know, Sandball and Tobiah, we're only in chapter 6, hey, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be here till the very end. Now, Sanballat begins to spread rumors concerning Nehemiah and his intentions. He sends an open letter this time. Now, an open letter, what that means is that every place the the carrier stopped, every person that handled the letter was gonna be snooping, okay? What's in the letter? What's going in the letter? What's so he sends an open letter on purpose so that everyone can read it. But I want you to see how Nehemiah responds. Then I sent to him saying, No such things as you have no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Nehemiah addresses them only to reject them. Then he discerned the motive behind their doing. Continue verse 9. For they all wanted to frighten us. Their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. And he says these words, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. A few thoughts here as we think about these verses 5 through 9. Those on the side of the truth should imitate Nehemiah and stick to the work. This is a good thing. He didn't revise the plan or change the agenda. He stood firm and prayed. He studied the course ahead. He studied the course ahead. Now, so, I'm not, sometimes we might need to change the agenda. So I don't, I don't want to prop that up as that's what we need to do. But it was a good thing for us to imitate sticking to the work, being careful to not let the plan change. Not let the world distract us to a different plan, a different agenda. We stick to God's agenda. You know, very practically, you know, I think as, as I think about the kingdom being built in our own lives as we're seeking sanctification, seeking to, to grow in faith, and, and we're about that agenda, and then something comes along and begins to take our hearts away, and Now, let's not change the agenda. Let's stick to the agenda. Recognize it for what it is. And with that said, the next thought, recognize the things that distract you from the great work. Recognize those things. Look at those things. Try and find those things. I guarantee you they're around you every day, all day long. What are the things that distract you from the great work? Nehemiah recognized these threats and such from Sandbalt and Tobiah as such. They were just simply distractions from the great work. So what are you doing? What, are, what does your life look like? What are the distractions? Is sleeping a distraction? Is trying to save a penny a distraction? You like the idea of leaning on a shovel and praying for the ditch? I'm going to wear that one out. Like how many, here's the thing, how many good things do you spend God's time doing when there are much more important things that you should be doing? For example, like sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's really what I want to drive, because I want to drive there hard today, is spending time at the feet of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Time in the word, time in prayer. Time in the word, time in prayer. Time in the word, time in prayer. I think, I think one of the greatest like diseases of our day is that we can be about Christian things and doing good things every day. And we can do that without hearing from Jesus. I don't know. I, I'm just as guilty, just, but in my mind, it doesn't make sense. Why would I do that when Jesus has spoken to me? Like I don't have to go searching for Jesus' voice. It's here. You know, changing diapers, fixing the house, renovating the kitchen. These are good things, great things. But are they distracting from sitting at the feet of Jesus? You know, thinking Mary, Martha, right? Recognize the things that distract you. Second thing, wisdom is something we all need. Wisdom. Wisdom. If we're going to finish the never finished work, wisdom. Nehemiah knew not to go at their invitation. So they're saying, hey, Come on out here so we can talk about these things, right? Come out to a plane where there's nowhere to run or hide so that we can talk, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, yeah, right. Nehemiah had discernment for what he should do. I shouldn't go out there. I need to stick to the work. I shouldn't pick up the phone. I should stick to the work. I shouldn't flip on the TV. I should stick to the work. Wisdom. Let's talk about wisdom for a few moments very briefly. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. Nehemiah knew something and then he applied it. Let me encourage you. If you know what you should know but fail to apply it, then there's probably a lacking of wisdom. I mean, it could be an affection thing in there too, but Oftentimes, I think it's a wisdom piece too. Wisdom is more than just knowing things, it's executing them. So, if we know these are Jesus' words and we fail to go read it and listen to it, certainly there's probably an affection piece in there, but there's also a major wisdom piece. And that just doesn't make sense. That's just crazy. The God of the universe has lots and lots of words written down in very nicely neat, understandable letterings, symbols, so we can understand it. It's just not wise, right? Doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, again, I, it's myself too, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm reminded of Proverbs seven: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We need discernment. And I want to remind you, James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. Right? So kind of next thought. Wisdom is something we all need. Obedience was easy for Nehemiah because it was defined. Obedience was easy for Nehemiah it was defined. Now, I, I don't mean to intend to say as long as you know the definition, then the obedience will always be easy. I don't intend to lay that on you, but the more clearly, but but honestly though, with wisdom here, the more clearly we define obedience, the easier it is to say no to other things. See, what happens, guys, is many of us just live life letting life happen to us. We're always like the receiver, we're always in defense. God is God's ne- like, God's on the offense, right? We as his followers are on the offense. We should be on the offense. You see, fear, anxiety, emotions, pressure wasn't going to lead Nehemiah to bad decisions. Right? What's the, what are they trying to do? They're trying to manipulate Nehemiah into coming out, to stopping the work. But what happened was Nehemiah feared the Lord more than he feared Sanballat and Tobias. He feared the Lord more than any kind of anxiety, emotions, or pressure. He wasn't going to make a bad decision because God was the one he feared, and therefore God was the one he followed. See, obedience was easy for Nehemiah because it was defined. He knew clearly what the Word of God had called him to do, and he was about that business. Right? It was easy for him to say no to the things that he shouldn't do. Verse ten. Now, when I went into the house of Shem- Yeah and son of Del- Yeah, son of Mahetabel, we'll do that one. Who was confined to his home, he said, "This let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. All right, let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night." So this Shemaiah is some kind of prophet, okay? Some kind of prophet. He's a Jew. It's important. He's a Jew. He's regarded in the community as knowing the will of God. He's a traitor. How does Nehemiah respond? But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Nehemiah, they're going to kill you. I will not go in. I'll take my chances out here, right? And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. He was a false prophet. How did Nehemiah know That this one bearing news that might save his life, that might bring him fulfillment, that might give him joy and delight, that he could live another day, how did he know that this prophet, this one proclaiming good news to him, how does he know that he's not from God? It's really just rather simple. Because he knew the Scriptures. Because he knew the Scriptures. This isn't a tough one. Finish the never-finished work by knowing the Scriptures. By knowing the Scriptures. We've really kind of implied that and alluded to that all the way along, but finish the never-finished work by knowing the Scriptures. Nehemiah knew that the Pentateuch says that only priests can enter the temple and only at certain times. Nehemiah knew that if he would have entered the temple, that it was likely that God would come against him. And this is how Nehemiah knew that the prophet was not from God. Now we have a couple problems. One problem is this. Our hearts and the world around us is constantly telling us to do something against God's Word. Constantly. Our flesh, the world around us, right? The enemy's intentions is to proclaim to us a different way of life. This life will be better. If you live this story, it will be better. This is the good life. It should look this way. You go into the temple, you'll live. You go into your smartphone and lust, you'll live. It'll be better for you. The second problem is that we do things oftentimes against God because we don't know what He says. So let's talk about this. Know the Scriptures. Know the truth. So that's kind of, if you want a sub-point, know the Scriptures. Know the truth. Nehemiah knew the scriptures. He knew the truth. You want to know what God's will is? Know the scriptures. How many times as a pastor you get asked, well, I'm just trying to figure out what God's will is. Many times. More often than not, if said person would just read their Bibles, it's in there. Now it may not be in there explicitly, like you should not spend all of your money on eating out. It may not say that. But it would help us understand that I probably shouldn't do that. Know the scriptures, know the truth. John 8, 31-32 says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Usually we read 32 and we leave out 31, at least my experience I've seen. He says, How do you know if you're truly a disciple? You abide in Jesus' word. You don't abide in good experiences from the past, or abide in that emotional high, or abide in that still, quiet voice, or abide in those dreams. No, you abide in His Word. That's what He says. You abide in My Word. You are truly My disciples. Here's what happens then. As you know the truth, you're set free to bring about reformation. Like, Reformation happens in your heart as you're set free by the truth. And then as you're set free by the truth, you're able to then see Reformation in other people as you up, help them understand and abide in the truth so that they would be set free as well. Again, whose words are we proclaiming? Our words are Jesus' words. We proclaim Jesus' words, and that's the truth. Then people are set free by the truth. Do you want your kids, your families, your co-workers to be set free? If you've been set free, you'll want them to be set free, right? All right, we should continue on in the passage. Going on in verse twelve, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him, right? Sounds like another traitor that we know from the New Testament. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. At its core, just very briefly here, it seems that the sin Nehemiah speaks about is the sin ultimately of not trusting God. God had called him to stick to the task. Instead of sticking to the task, I'm going to go run and hide. And I'm going to go run and hide by running to the temple. Not trusting God. The faithful thing for Nehemiah to do was to trust God and what he had said concerning the temple and concerning Nehemiah's calling. Stay out of the temple, stick to the task. Stay out of the temple, stick to the task. This prophet was striking deep at the trusting relationship between Nehemiah and God. See that, don't miss that. Christians, those of you who consider yourself a follower of Christ, understand Satan strikes deep. Your flesh strikes deep at your trusting relationship with God all the time. God didn't really mean what He said. Go ahead and eat of this fruit. Your life will be better if you do so. God didn't really mean that. Don't trust what God said. The good life looks this way, not God's way. But you must know His Scriptures in order to recognize when your flesh or the false prophet is doing these things when your trusting relationship with God is being, uh, being attacked at its very core, verse fourteen. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat. Oh my God! According to these things that they did, and also the prophets, Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So Nehemiah wants these things remembered because he believes that God will deliver justice. He does not want sin to go unanswered or. Unrequited. Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. They started the work in August, finished it in October. I understand a couple things here. I, I don't have time to linger here, but just a couple things to note. One, note that they've been trying to build this thing for years and have been stopped by the king. Trying to build this thing for years. Stopped by the king in 52 days. I mean, this is, I mean, we're not talking like a knee wall, right? I mean, it might have taken us 52 days to build that wall. Look at a wall, right? Long. I, I, don't even, I, I didn't look it up. You can go look it up. A long wall tall, like to stop armies, right? To stop armies. All right, you get the point. The other thing is, notice how anticlimactic Nehemiah is. Now, I don't want to build a sermon around this, like I think some people probably could, but like, just, just, just thinking for just, I, I'm just speculating here. I think Nehemiah's anticlimactic. I mean, here in the middle, all this is going on. Yeah, we finished the wall. And then he goes on. You'll see in verse 16, he goes on. That's that's all he says. We finished the wall. I think because Nehemiah had this steadied assurance that God was going to finish the wall. That God's going to do it. Yeah, what's the surprise? Yeah, yeah, praise God, certainly. Praise God. Remember God. But it was going to happen. It was going to happen. I knew it. Right, verse 16, that's all I want to do. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. So he goes on again, the wall was finished, and then he goes, they saw that it was accomplished with the help of God, right? Praise God, essentially, it's bringing glory to God. The wall was built, but this is for the glory of God. He takes us immediately away from the finished this task, onto this next thing. God had been aiding the work all along. Man's work and God's work. Man's work and God's work. We should be a people who do things that can only be explained because God is helping us. We should be a people like that. We want to be people at Renovation Church. We want people to look at Renovation Church and say, there is something unique going on there that no human could simply create. That's been Rusty and I's prayers from the very, very beginning. Only God could unify a people like this. Only God could give a people that desires to know His Word like this. Only God could lead a people to sacrifice for each other like this. Only God could make sinners love one another. The nations had perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Alright, so great news, right? In the middle of this passage. Great, great, great news. And then what happens in verse 17? Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. And Remember that Tobiah is an Ammonite, not a Jew, but now there are Jewish nobles in Judah who are essentially trading intelligence info with Tobiah. So now you have Jews who are now interacting with Tobiah in efforts together. Verse 18, For many in Judah were bound by oath to him. Bound by oath to Tobiah. Because he was the son-in-law of Shekiniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehohonana, whatever, had taken the daughter of Mashulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. There we go. I don't... Anyways, Now we begin, right? Now we begin to see the issue of intermarriage come up again. Now the heart of the issue here is the purity of God's people. I think we see this reflected in the New Testament with the unequally yoked prohibition thing. This is not a matter of ultimately of races, intermarry. I don't think that's the issue. What's going on is there's the purity of God's people. Look at verse 19. It says, also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence. So, right? so Nehemiah is saying, they spoke of Tobiah's good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. All right, so Tobiah kept working and working and working trying everything he could to stop these people from becoming the people of God. Every effort he could. The wall is built, but Nehemiah knew that to finish the never-finished work, he would have to do it by remembering that we will never arrive. Right? But to finish the never-finished work, we have to remember that we will never arrive. Nehemiah knew that they had not arrived Now that the wall is built, Nehemiah turns his attention to the hearts of the people. Obviously a much more difficult task, I think. What's at stake is that God's people have returned. Hear hear this, guys, Right? What's at stake is this. God's people have returned to the land, to Jerusalem, and they are seeking the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. They want to be God's people in God's place, under God's rule, to the nations. A blessing to the nations. They want to be these people. They want to live in the land. They want to be God's people. But in order for God's people to experience the blessing of the covenant, and to be a blessing to the whole earth, they have to be holy. They have to follow God's ways. They have to exercise faith in God. In order for them to be holy, holy, they have to know who they are as God's people, right? So this is why the genealogical lists of names coming up matter. Their identity matters. Who they are matters. If they don't know who they are and they start marrying and living like people that they are not, then the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant they will not see realized in their day. Okay? All right. Let's let's land this plane. Now what if I were to leave you right there saying this? okay, Saying these words. Stop getting distracted. Get about the next thing. Study the word. Stop being foolish. Stop loving things more than Jesus. It's kind of been the message so far, right? That would not, I don't think, be very helpful. In fact, I think it would be quite detrimental. I think it would be crushing. I know it would be crushing to me. I think We'd be hoisting a weight upon our shoulders that we could in no way carry. I think we would crush ourselves. I think it would crush you. But by God's grace, there was one who's gone before us that finished the race. Right? You know, Nehemiah, hang with me for a second, was a great man who went before the people. He showed great faith. As you remember back in verse 9, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. Help me finish the task at hand. Here we see Nehemiah did not have faith in his ability to finish the never finished work, but he had faith in the confidence that his Savior would finish the work. Right? So Nehemiah, I've got this work to finish. What do I need? Can I do it myself? No, God, strengthen my hands. I need you, God, to be the Savior of the day. Nehemiah knew this. Now, of course, we now have an advantage over Mr. Nehemiah. We can look back. Nehemiah was looking forward, but we can look back and see that our Savior did finish the never-finished work. He finished it. Jesus lived by faith. He was the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Hebrews 12. Let's talk about this for a few moments. Just verse 1 and 2. This very, very quickly. The cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11 are examples of the kind of faith we are called to. So go back and read Hebrews 11. A faith that abandons trust in self, a faith that forsakes self righteousness, a faith that dismisses self justification, a faith that follows Christ for the joy that was set before. And he says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin. You know those distractions that keep you from the great work? You know those distractions? It's like s- the sins. Just call them sins. You know, if we repent for too many things, oh no. We call them sins. But what he says here, the, they're like ankle weights. You ever, you ever exercise with ankle weights or wrist weights? Anybody in here? Raise your hand. It's like a couple of us, right? I have. Promise. I used to wrestle back in middle school, you know. <laughs> ankle weights, like you, you wear those, like it's hard, right, you know? Of course, now my ankle weights are like, you know, 40-pound boy you know, dragging around the house, right? It's a little hard to run. You got a four-year-old hanging on your legs. They weigh you down so you can't run the race. You can't run the race. They weigh you down. The sins weigh you down. You can't run the race, the good works that God has prepared for you beforehand. Guys, some of us are so tired and worn out, and it's simply because we've been running the race with sin wrapped around our ankles, wrapped around our arms, wrapped around our wrists, wrapped around our neck. We've got to read the Word of God to see what Jesus says about those sins. We've got to invite exhortation from the body concerning those sins. So what happens is we keep running, but just wanting to give up every time we turn a corner. We keep wanting to give up because sin clings so closely. But what are we to do? We need to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Do you know how we look to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith? How How do we look to Jesus as we run the race with endurance, as we fight this battle hard? You turn up the volume on the Bible radio, okay? You see, listen, listen to me. You see what Jesus has said. You learn what Jesus has said. You memorize what Jesus has said. You abide in what Jesus has said. You love what Jesus has said. You long to see the face of the Jesus who said in all this, you run the race hard, you fight the fight hard, you struggle with sin, you invite exhortations, you lose the distractions, you learn obedience, you gain wisdom. But with what song playing in the background? Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before Him and through the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the song playing in the background as we work hard, as we fight hard. He did it. Here's the example of why it's so important for us to know God's Word. What about this verse, think with me, should be so encouraging to us as we finish the never-finished work? Right? If you study the passage, you see how it fits in the rest of the scripture, you would understand that when it says that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, you would understand that the work he did, that the fight that he fought is finished. It's done. He ran the race. It's done. He's finished. Our hope in finishing the never finished work is not in our ability, but in the fact that he finished it. He did it. It's done. All done, completed. And if you are found in Christ, then you are found having completed the race. You run the race with your eyes set on the hope. The hope of seeing Him face to face because He ran it and He finished it. All of us know not the extent of our sin. But thank God that we can never know the full extent of His grace. But only in never-ending, always-increasing measure. We will see it. We will experience it. We will know it. So what distracts you from running the race? Throw it off. Throw it off. It's a weight. Throw it off. How will you do that? Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Help me throw this weight off. Faith. Faith in what? Faith that he finished. That he finished the race. That it's done. That he completed it. Let's pray. Dear God, remember us, O God. we try to run the race that you've prepared for us. And at the same time, Father, help us remember the race that you prepared for your Son. That you ordained for your Son. The founder and perfecter of our faith. as we worship you in these next few moments Well, let us run this race standing firm on Christ, the solid rock. That we run this race standing on a foundation of one who's already ran the race and finished it. And all we're called to do is just abide in His Word and we'll run the race. And Father, we know that even though we know to abide in the word. We know that we should do these things. We know lots of things, Father. It's a lot of times we just don't want to do it. So, I, Father, I pray that you change our hearts, captivate our hearts, so we want to run the race the way you've called us to run this race. We do this so we have faith in your son, Jesus. He ran the race. He finished. Father, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.